here this morning. If you've been here on Wednesdays uh, this these past several weeks, we have been in the book of Haggai. Just finished up in the book of Haggai. Uh, a, a look into this same time period that Nehemiah comes to us from, and that is in the time that they were rebuilding, rebuilding Jerusalem. It had been destroyed from uh, the Babylonians that had come in. They had destroyed Jerusalem. They had taken uh, many of them captive and brought them to Babylon and brought them uh, all over Syria. And, and they have now been released to come back into the land. And they are rebuilding the city. And Nehemiah is over this. He is just a normal guy. He is just a cupbearer. Uh, serving in the temple, but he was uh, felt a call of God on his life to do a great thing. And so uh, he followed that call of God and God opened doors for him to be able to lead the people back to Jerusalem to rebuild. And we're going to go to Nehemiah chapter four, beginning in verse number one. We're just going to read three verses and then you can be seated here today. It says that it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we built the wall, He was wroth, he was angry. He took great indignation and he mocked the Jews. And he spake before the brethren, the army of Samaria, and he said, Why do these feeble, or what do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? In other words, are they actually going to make a difference? Are they going to actually... Do this thing that they've set out to do. Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Out of the heaps of the rubble that's there. You have the rubble of these stones that have been turned, turned, you know, all knocked down. The city's a mess. This rubbish, this rubble that's there. Are they actually going to do this? And along came Send Balat's friend Tobiah the Ammonite, and he was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, that fox would even break down their stone wall. So, so with that in mind, if we could just lift up our hands just one more time. I just want to pray that the word of the Lord will be able to speak to us here today. God, I pray against every bit of doubt. Every voice that would try to come into our life and to tell us that we can't do it. Every same ballot and Tobiah. God, even those voices which are inner voices of our own. God, that would disqualify the work that is to be done. That would disqualify the very things, God, that you are trying to raise, raise up in us. Lord, I pray that we, God, would be strong. God, that we would stick to the fight. God, that we would stick, God, to the thing to which you have called us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. You can be seated today. Praise His holy name. There's, if you uh, are a are a fan of history, or if you are one who studies history, I'm sure, even if you're not, you probably know this name, Winston Churchill. And Winston Churchill is remembered as perhaps the greatest prime minister in the history of Great Britain. It was by his steel will that he led his island nation up against Hitler and against the uh, those forces in World War II. And, and it was um, by his, 
by his accomplishments, by his leadership that, that really made a significant impact for the whole world because of this man. But years before World War II took place, that before that victorious moment for the ages, Winston Churchill faced himself uh, several, a, a string of devastating things that took place in his life. It was in August of 1929 that Winston Churchill, uh, he managed to bring in approximately $70,000 in one month. He had income of $70,000 in one month, which for him was far and away beyond anything that he had ever seen, any kind of financial security that had always been lacking uh, for him and his family. It was uh, we finally had that security, and today, today, that $70,000 in a month would be a significant amount of income. But back in 1929, that was, uh, that was absolutely a significant, unimaginable amount of money for a single month's work. And so in that year, August, or in that month, August 1929, Winston Churchill had made this money, and he decided uh, that it was of his family's best interest that he should not just hold on to that money in a bank, um, but rather he should invest that money so that it doesn't go to waste. And so he put those that $70,000 into the American stock market in August of 1929. And he was finally set up for financial security, he felt. But then, I, see, I hear some of the chuckles already, as uh, you may know about, it was 90 days later that the American stock market completely crashed. It fell apart and that financial security that he thought he had was completely vanished. The, the, the nation or the world really was brought into a great depression and, and you, had, you had all of the money that, uh, that he had made. It was completely, uh, completely gone. And so you have this significant setback for him and losing uh, all of this money would surely bring any person into a fit of depression. Certainly bring somebody, you know, and that's enough for your whole life to say, I, I never want to face anything like that again. But it was not the end of Churchill's uh, setbacks for his life because just a couple of years later in 1931, uh, the government that of which he had been a part of in a significant, uh, significant way, uh, decided to not bring him into the to serve in the cabinets there in Great Britain. And so, this man who his identity was wrapped up in the politics of this nation, he was suffered another just staggering blow to to say we don't want you. And it was in a time when when really Churchill was one of the only voices in his nation that was ringing some alarm bells against this rise that, that Adolf Hitler was, was having in, in Germany. And, and, uh, he was, he was raising some of the alarms, but he was the only one. And they, in this, this terrible timing, they decided, we don't want you to be part of the government. And so they, they kicked him out. And so in this, this time of depression, he decided, I'm going to go and, uh, I'm going to, going to just do a little tour of, Canada and the United States. And so he took a little bit of time off and he began to travel Canada, throughout Canada and in the United States. And he 
made his way to New York City in that, that course of his travels. And while he was in New York City, he was uh, going uh, to cross a street. And he looked the wrong way while he was crossing a street and stepped out into the traffic. And he was hit by a taxi car that was traveling down the road. And it this accident sent him to the hospital. He was clinging to his life, just just barely hanging on. And and so in less than three years, you have this man that's that's hit by the succession of of just devastating things that would take place. This financial security completely gone. His politically, his his identity is is gone. He's been sent down to the minor leagues and said, We don't want you. And and now here he is and, and physically he is he's clinging for his life and and so it's just one thing after another, this man who did have a prominent place in, in the government, this prominent place, uh, even within the world. He was, he was just one, just little heap of himself, just the rubble of, of what he may have been just a few years earlier. And, and then it came just a few years later that, um, that the, that the, really the nation began to, uh, to realize that we need a leader who can help us, who can help lead us in this turbulent time with this rise of Adolf Hitler and this, this rise of, of this unrest that's, that's coming at us and we don't know who to turn to. And it was, it was right around the time that there was this, uh, this emboldened opponent of Winston Churchill who made this pronouncement that said that Churchill is finished. That was printed. It was blasted on all the, the newspapers and all the, the magazines. And so Churchill is finished. And, and that was, that was the, the reality, or that's what they thought the reality was for Winston Churchill. But it just so happened that there was at least somebody in the government that said, let's give him a chance. And they brought Winston Churchill in. And we know the end of the story. If, uh, at least you should know the end of the story that he played a significant role in human history. He played that role that that brought uh, that brought that or galvanized that nation and galvanized the world and the troops and uh, was able to make the turn the tide of that war because of the leadership of Winston Churchill and and there's there's just something about stories like that that grab my attention. Stories of somebody. Who it looks like everything's gone. Looks like they're finished. It looks like, you know, this is the end of the story. That's all she wrote. But then out of the heaps of the ashes, out of the rubble, there comes a little bit of life. Out of the rubble, there comes just a little bit of a spark. And it's, 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 you know, they're not done. They're not done. They weren't finished. Everybody said Churchill is finished, but Churchill was not done. But And here's what I come to tell you today is that God is bigger than whatever circumstances may have brought you down today. No matter where, what you are faced with today, no matter how you are feeling today, that you're not finished, that God is not finished with you. And that God wants to bring revival to the rubble in your life. God wants to bring revival to the rubble. There's some rubble that is sitting in these, these pews today and, and it may not even look like it. Maybe somebody's looking at you and they would have no idea what's going on internally in your life. 
They have no idea what's going on of the thoughts that you that have been rolling around in your mind. And, and, and they have no idea all the circumstances that, that you have that, that brought you into this place today. But for yourself, you, you look around and you see the remnants of the rubble that's around you. You, you feel the brokenness that, that, uh, that you are carrying into this place today. But I want to give you a little bit of hope that if there's a little bit of rubble there, there's a lot of rubble. It doesn't matter. God is bigger than the rubble. That God, He wants to revive some things in your life today. And so there's this book of Nehemiah that I, I believe is just such a, a powerful book to, to bring us uh, to an understanding of what God wants to do in our lives today. It's from this great book that we find a, a multitude of lessons that really we could bring out. And you should be relieved that I'm not going to uh, go through each and every one of those lessons today. So uh, just, you're, you're okay. You're saved from that. But, uh, but here was this one certain dilemma of this broken down wall. In the city of Jerusalem, in fact, any major city of that time they were they had the fortifications of the walls that would surround the city and those walls they were significant because it protected them from those who were coming in it, it protected them just you know from um not just not just invading armies but but people who would come in thieves and, and, and these these individuals it was, it was a sign of a prosperous city it was a sign of a a city that was established and for their city the city that God said, my name will be established here forever. The city that God had said, this will be the place where, uh, where I want, uh, I want the temple to be built, where I want my name to be here. I want my, uh, I want, want the, the place of worship, uh, to, to be centralized here in the city of Jerusalem. This was an identity for the people of the, of the Jews. This was, this was part of their identity was the fact that Jerusalem, had been broken down, and so they as a people were broken. They as a nation were broken. But God gave them a little bit of hope, and they began to rebuild. And Nehemiah is leading the charge here, and he's, he's going, and he's, he's starting to rebuild the walls, or he's leading the people to rebuild the walls. And as he's doing this, as we read in our, in our opening text, there came a couple of individuals, and they began to speak some things to them. And tell them, you can't do this. You're nobody. What do you guys think that you're doing here? There's, there's no way that you are going to finish what you started. This man, Sanballat, and his friend Tobiah began speaking, these, just hurling these insults at them and, and telling them that you, you, there's no way that you are going to reconstruct this city. There's no way that you are going to actually make a difference. And, and I, I'm convinced today that any time that you are going to do something great, any time that you are going to rise up from the rubble of your life, any time that you're going to begin to follow the call of God in your life, there's going to be some doubters and there's going to be some haters. There's going to be some people who are going to begin to speak into your life. They're going to come. They're going to try to discourage you. They're going to try to get you to look around at the rubble. They're going to try to get you to look around at the, the, the large task that's ahead of you and, and get you to stop doing what you're doing. They begin to ask questions. Questions like, will a revival really come from this big trash pile? Will there be reconstruction from the rubble? 
Uh, can, can riches really come from the refuse? When, when we look at the trash pile that's here, what used to be a wall in this temple of Jerusalem, that, you know, there's something that's, that just comes and they're, they're saying, how in the world could anything constructive come out of this thing? This trash, the rubble that's here. But within that element of mayhem and destruction, there were some clear principles and laws, I believe, that governed what God was going to do and God going to establish in their life. And I just want to talk through a couple of uh, things that, that we can learn today from the book of Nehemiah, from, from what Nehemiah is doing here on looking at our own life and what God is trying to do to restore you, to bring revival in your own life, to revive some things that you thought were dead. To revive some things that you that others are telling you it's, it's never going to happen. The first law, the first law that we come to is the law of deterioration. And from the picture in the Bible, it becomes very clear that all material things, it doesn't matter if they're sacred, it doesn't matter if they're just mundane, it doesn't matter, uh, you know, it could be something of the world, just out in, out in nature, in the forest, everything is going to deteriorate. Everything will eventually become trash. Everything will eventually come to rubble. And to a man who places all of his trust in material holdings, the fact is that there is going to be an end to them. There's only, there's only a few things that, that moth and rust do not corrupt, as Scripture says. And so, really, those are the things that we need to hold on to. But, but everything in this world, everything is uh, material, is going to eventually deteriorate. And so what he loves is going to deteriorate. Whatever you love, whatever a man who clings to those things that are material, it's going to deteriorate. And the first law is, uh, is that things will crumble. For the man who places his trust in rituals of religion, it's eventually going to crumble. It's not about religion. This isn't, I don't come here because of religion. If we do that, it's all going to eventually come crashing down because people are going to fail you. And religion is about people. Religion is about building up a, a, a construct that's, that's about the people that you're there with. And it's, a, no, I want relationship with him. I want relationship with the one who is eternal. I want relationship with the one who has no beginning and he has no ending. I want relationship with one who doesn't deteriorate. I want relationship with the one who when everything around me seems like it's failing and everyone around me seems like they're failing me, I can cling to him because he will never fail me. For those who put their trust in the things, and, and, and maybe for some it's even just in the, in the building, and, and the building is going to deteriorate. You can go to a beautiful building, and there are beautiful edifices, there are beautiful uh, places that people will go and they will worship, but the building will come crashing down eventually. It can't be about the building, it can't just be about the people it's got to be about relationship with the King of Kings. It has to be about relationship with Him. In fact, in Mark chapter 13, 
Mark chapter 13, it says that as Jesus was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. In other words, he's like, man, look at these amazing buildings that are in this place. And in fact, he's pointing to the temple that they just walked out of. Look at this beautiful thing that is here. And what does Jesus answer to him? He says, seeing, seest thou that these great buildings, there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And the prophetic words of the Lord came true when the Roman emperor Titus eventually would come to Jerusalem and he would destroy that very temple that they had just walked out of. It's significant what the Lord had to say and as well to set our affections on the things that the rubble heap The things that they, the rubble heap, it's never going to deteriorate. The things that are never going to turn to rubble. See, Sanballat on that day with with Nehemiah, he began to ask them or began to make fun of them. He's saying, what do these feeble Jews, these these feeble Jews, these guys, I look at you and you look like you're worthless. (laughs) They're they're, they're casting these insults at them and they're like, you guys, you're, you're trying to do something great. It's well beyond your means. You cannot do this. But here's... Here's the deal. Nehemiah was setting his eyes on something that was greater than what he could do. He was setting his eyes on a task which was from above. He was setting his eyes on something that God said, I have set forth for you and just a normal person to go and do a great work. And Nehemiah said, I may be just some normal person, normal, normal, average Joe, but God has called me to do a great thing. And so I believe that if God has called me, then he's going to see me through it. And so here he is. He's rebuilding. He's trying to keep the people on task. And, and Sambalik keeps coming. He's hurling these insults at them. He's trying to tell them, you can't make a difference. You're not going to do this. And, and we have to remember... Today, that's out of the low things, out of the small things, great things can come from them. Out of small things. He, he gets there. Nehemiah had never been to Jerusalem. He just heard the stories. He just heard the stories of what Jerusalem was like. And, and here he is, and he's, he, he gets back there. And I'm sure he was a little bit taken aback. This is a big task. The rubble heap is big. The the stones are completely torn down. The walls are completely torn down. It's just just a bunch of rubble right now. But those great big trees that we see around us right now, those things started as a little tiny seed. The the great big river that we crossed over on the way here, that started from just this little, little source up on the mountain. And that snow began to melt. And as that snow melted, it began to gather together. And it, it began to go. And it, it became a stream that was going down that mountain. And, and that stream, it began to widen. it, And more water came to it. And that, that from that little tiny um, snow that was melting up on the mountain, we have this great big river that we just crossed over. The, the littlest wires that they might have, that, those, those littlest wires, if you put them all together, then they can hold, they can carry the greatest weights. You know, here today, the little tiny nerves in our body, they could, they could cause us excruciating pain. Little tiny things matter. The largest 
of the machines that you may have. Maybe today, you, you're, maybe you know, tomorrow you're going to go to work and you got a machine that you work with. And, and, and that great big machine, it might have just one little bolt or one little screw or, or one little pulley in it. So that's, that if that goes missing or if that's not there, it's, it, it's going to cause the entire machine to, go, to not work. Little things. These little things, they matter. The greatest uh, the greatest things, these, these greatest, uh, great big things, they, 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 they all happen first of all with the little tiny bits, the little pieces. And that's, that's what the rubble is. The rubble is all the little tiny pieces. All these rocks that are there that, that Nehemiah is staring at, those are the little tiny pieces that if we could just put them together. Hey, they're there. The rocks are there. The rubble is there. But if we can just put them together, then something great is going to come of this. But Sanballat begins to mock them. And he, sometimes the most difficult thing for explorers is the endurance as they're going on their travel. They're going on their travel. And, and, and you, maybe even yourself, you, you get walking just through a, uh, just through a forest. You get walking on, on some path and, and these little tiny insects just start bothering you. And what do you want to do? You just want to turn around and go back. Like, man, these little pesky things, these little, you know, those little tiny things that they're coming. And that's what Sam Ballard is. He's just this little tiny gnat that keeps on bugging, bugging the people. And he's trying to get them to stop and he's trying to discourage them. And he's, he's trying to, he's just being obnoxious. He's just, he's just there constantly chirping in their ear and telling them, you're not going to do this. You can't do it. Look at the big rubble. Look at all this stuff. There's too much and this, all this criticism. And he's, he's telling them, Hey, all of this is just turned to heap. All of this is rubble. You guys, there's, this is too big of a task for you. It's like this little gnat. It's just bothering them and bothering them. But what was Nehemiah's answer to the criticism? I love what he did. He stopped his work. He prayed. And then he got back to work. He paused for just a moment. He prayed. And then he got back to work. All the criticism that was coming his way as he begins to rebuild the walls. All the criticism that is coming his way. And that's somebody here today. You're trying to rebuild some things in your life. And God is trying to speak some encouragement to you. And you are so busy. or You you have your ears so attuned to all the people that are telling you, no, you can't do it. That you're not hearing God speak. And you need to just pause for a little bit. A little bit. And listen to the voice of God. Get some encouragement to keep on going. And when you do that, God's going to say, you have all that you need. You have everything that you need to just put one more stone back on top of that next one. You have everything that you need to just lay a little bit more mortar and put one more brick up there. You have everything that you need to just keep on going. Don't listen to the voices of those who are attacking you. Don't listen to the voices of those that are telling you that you can't do this. You have everything that you need. So the first law is that everything does deteriorate, but just because it's deteriorated doesn't mean that it can't be built back stronger. The second law is this law of occupation. And for Nehemiah, in one picture, this American, uh, we, we get him. And he was this man who, uh, his occupation was not of a builder. He was not a builder. He was, he was the one who was just serving in the courts of the king. He was this regular guy, but God called him to go and to do something else. And God began to occupy him with a dream. God began to occupy him with something that was greater than himself. 
I'm telling you, there's got to be somebody here today who needs to get a hold of a vision of a vision that is greater than yourself. Who needs to occupy yourself with something that is greater than just something that affects you. God puts you here for a reason. God puts you on this planet not just for you to walk through life and not make a difference in anybody else's life. That God has great things in store for you. And I don't care what age you are today. God, he still has plans for you to begin to impact those around you. It doesn't matter if you're 7 years old or 70 years old today. God has a purpose for you right now in this season that you're in. It doesn't matter what it looks like around you. It doesn't matter what your past is. You don't have to have gone to Bible college to teach somebody a Bible study. You don't have to, you don't have to go to Bible college to be nice to somebody and to tell them or just show them the love of God. You don't have to, you don't have to go and, and, and have some great, great initials and all this stuff, you know, behind your name in order to do something great. God wants to occupy you with something that is eternal. God wants to occupy you with something that is going to make a difference. He has called you. In fact, the very last words that he had to say to the church was to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. And that very message that he told his disciples is the same message that we have today is to go and to baptize and to make disciples of every nation tribe and tongue that is my responsibility today is to go and to be a witness to this world what that means is i can't occupy myself occupy all my time with just myself i need to occupy myself with something that is beyond me with something that is greater than me Nehemiah was occupying himself with something that was greater than him. And by doing so, he was able to take, uh, to, to, to do something that, uh, that, that he, he had no skill. He had no power of his own. But because God had given him this calling, because God had begun to, to uh, because he responded to the calling that God had for him, he was able to get through every bit of division, through every bit of, of insecurity that he may have had when people are hurling these insults. But he was occupying himself with the call of God. So I believe there's somebody in here today you don't want just dry barrenness around you and you're feeling that you feel it as you walk through life and, and you've, you've you know, dipped your toe into, into trying to do something bigger than yourself a time or two you've dipped your toe into it and you say ah, I don't know if I'm comfortable there I don't know if I'm comfortable following the call of God I don't know if I'm comfortable doing something that is outside my, my wheelhouse, outside my box. It's not comfortable. It's not comfortable to do, to follow the call of God. It's never comfortable. It wasn't comfortable for, for Nehemiah. It wasn't comfortable for, for any of those uh, fathers of our faith. It wasn't comfortable for Abraham to leave everything he knew behind and to follow after God. Even after he followed after God, it wasn't comfortable for him to, to bring his son Isaac up and to, to sacrifice him or to bring him up as a sacrifice to God. It wasn't comfortable for, for any of those fathers of the faith, fathers of our faith to, to go after the call of God. And God is calling you today to do something that is going to make a difference. And it's not going to be comfortable. 
But what he's calling you to do is to occupy yourself. He says, occupy until I come. When he said, occupy until I come, I should have thrown that scripture up here, but it says, occupy till I come. That does not mean just take up space. It doesn't mean just, just be there and just fill a seat. Occupy till I come. When a country in war occupies a, a, a nation, and you, you look at Ukraine right now, and they're in war against, uh, against Russia, and there are occupied territories. There are territories that, that they occupy. That means that they are actively holding the fort. They're actively working to keep that territory. In fact, they want to occupy even more territory. They want to go and make sure that, that nothing is stolen from them. And so when you occupy, it's, it's not just sitting there and, and, and not doing anything, but it's, it's standing there and, and you're willing to fight. You're willing to make a difference. And, and that's what God's calling you to do today. He's calling you to make a difference, to occupy until he returns. God's calling you to make a difference today. The third law, the last law I want to get at today is the law of elevation. And one asks the question, what makes rubble, rubble? They call it in scripture, they call it rubbish. What makes, makes trash, trash? You know, a new set of clothes may be a dream today and it may be despair by tomorrow. What, what has so suddenly changed what can so suddenly change our delight into disgust? What can so suddenly change like Winston Churchill when he invested all of his money into the stock market and it all crashed into disaster? You have, you have these things. It's, it's a change in our mindset. It's a change in these things. You have this, this man in, in Australia who had this, this land that was flowing with, with rich hardwoods and he decides to tear it all down and and, and the kangaroos and the, the pandas, or not the pandas, the kangaroos and the, uh, the animals, they keep on coming. They're, they're seeing all this change. And, and they, they see him begin to, to tear all these, these trees down. And, and, and then he's there and he begins uh, to determine, no, no, I, I, want, to, I want to make sure that uh, I'm going to create an orchard. And so he, he plants this orchard. And then he, he tears the orchard down. And he says, I, I want to dig for the gold that's under the soil. And so he begins to dig for the, the gold that is underneath those. And so he gets dissatisfied with one thing and he goes to the next. And then he, he finds that gold and he finally finds and he says, this gold, it's, you know, it's, it's not making me happy either. And so he goes on to the next thing. And, and then eventually... Uh, what the, those very things that he was trying to find, those things that he was going after, all of that, uh, it, it was replaced by something that was more alluring. It was replaced by something that was more alluring. There's, there's times in my life that I, I'll chase after the things that are more alluring, the things for myself that I'll try to go after this. And then I say, I, I'm dissatisfied and I'll go to the next thing. And then I'll go to the next thing, trying to find something that's better. The things that we find that are, are, Worth something will eventually not catch our attention anymore. I was I was at a theme park. Uh, and we took some students down to Kings Island uh, last weekend, and as you're there, you can you might begin on that that lowest ride. Just gonna get on the carousel, and it's, it's it's fun on the carousel. But then all of a sudden, you see the next ride over, and that carousel doesn't look fun anymore. You want to get on the bigger, better ride. 
And you get on that ride, and that ride, it's a lot of fun. But that fun is eventually going to wane when you see that ride that, oh, that one flips upside down. And you get on that ride, and it begins to flip upside down. And that, that ride, you ride it a couple times, and it looks fun. But then you see the ride, oh, this one's in the dark, and it goes this way and that. And we got on that ride. In fact, it was called Flight of Fear. I had no idea it was going to be a flight of fear for myself. As it flipped every which way in the dark, I had no idea where I was going. And it was fun. It was fun. But eventually, we began to chase after things. And they, they lose their value. They lose their value. We chase after it, and then it loses its value. And that's what can happen so often in our life is we can chase after things and they begin to lose their value. We can chase after things and they become the rubble in our life. We can chase after things and they become the rubble. And that's so often so many of us here today, we have some things of rubble in our life. It's because we've been chasing after the next greatest thing. You've been chasing after this and that. And then you look around and all you see is all this trash around you as you look back over your life where you've been chasing things that don't really matter. And I know we're talking about all this trash here today. All this thing, this destruction. But I want to give a little bit of hope today because out of the trash, out of the rubble, it doesn't matter how many things you've chased after and then you've left them there. And you look back over your life and you say, man, what have I to show for it? And we might have some great things to show for it. But then you see all these other things that's like, I made a mess. Who am I? What difference have I made? And this is the hope that I want to share with you today. That out of all of that, God says, there's enough pieces here for me to write a masterpiece of a story. There's enough rubble in your life. For me to begin to write a story. That at the very last turn of that page. You're going to see the glory of what I've done. The revival that's going to come out of the, the, the path that you've walked. Well, there's somebody today who you've walked down some tough paths. And you have a whole lot of rubble in your life. You have a whole lot of things in your life that God has been trying to, 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 to prompt you to go this way or that. He's trying to prompt you to go and to occupy yourself with something great. And you have a lot of rubble in your life where you've ignored God. Or where you have not, you've not followed what he has, he's called you to here or there. You've, 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 left, uh, you've left these these pieces of trash all around you and you look and you say what could come of this and God says let me take all the trash and let me begin to write a new story for you and let me revive some things in your life so that the end is greater than the beginning so at the end you look over and you say how did I get here and that's what happens with Nehemiah. He begins building this wall and it was just a bunch of trash. It was a bunch of rubble and God, stone after stone, he began to build something up that says, how did we get here with what we started with? See, the power of God is how you got there. The forgiveness of God is how you got there. See, God, he can take something that's broken and he can make it beautiful. God can take something that is rubble and he can revive it to make something that's brand new. God can take something that it looks like you have nowhere to go because all you have around you is a bunch of rubble and remnants of your life. 
And God says, that's all that I need. Read our musicians come. I believe there's somebody here today who, if you were to, to assess your life and, and try to try to find the, the thread of what got you to where you are today. You see the, the missteps and you see the mistakes and you see all those things. And we can point them all out. And we can look around and we can say, man, I have a whole lot of rubble. And I don't know what I can ever do with this rubble that is my life. But if you could just, in this moment, begin to turn that rubble over to God. Turn that rubble over to God and say, God, if you can make anything beautiful out of this, here I am. God, I'll turn the rubble of my life over to you right now. I want to give it to you. And if you go through, if you go through the scripture, you can see this principle over and over and over and over again. That God makes dead things alive. That God makes rubble become something beautiful. He can make a dead rod begin to sprout forth a bud. He can make the waters that were standing in front of them be just part. God, God, he can, he can sweeten the waters of Mara. He, he can take something that looked bitter and he can make it sweet. He can take the troubled waters that were there at Salome and he can begin to heal people with them. He can make an axe head that should not float. It's at the bottom. It's just rubble. It's lost. It's gone. And he can make that float so that they can continue the work. God, he can overcome sin with a great flood. He can, he can bury my sin in baptism today. And he can forgive me of all my sins. God can take a bush that's been burning. It's, 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 you know, it should be consumed. And he can make that bush be something that is going to give life to his people. God can turn a rod into a serpent and back again. God, he can create, or he can create bedlam in the house of the captors with just a few plagues. He can make it look like you're in bondage right now today, but I'm going to set you free tomorrow. God can restore your soul today when you feel like there is no restoration that's possible. God can start a fire upon a mountain when that altar has been doused with water. It's been, had the water just, just, just thrown on that altar and God could take something that looks as if it should never be set on fire and He can bring the fire to it. God could take a ministry that looks as if it's been lost, it's been, it's been gone and, and, and Jonah completely running from God and God can restore him back and to say, I'm still gonna use you, Jonah, even though you have ran away from me and, 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 and forsaken me. God can take a leper and he can heal him. And in fact, not only heal him, but he can restore back that which has been taken. God can deliver three men in a fiery furnace when it looks like there is no chance. God can deliver them. God can take empty nets. And he can put fish in them. And he can give you a greater calling. 
And even when you go back to the fish and say, my ministry's done, I'm going to go back to that, which I, 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 I know God could say, I'm going to restore you again. And I'm going to allow you to have the ministry that I called you to. Here today, God, he can take, he can take whatever issue you have. And God can completely deliver you. God would go to the cross for whatever rubble you have in your life. And he says, I will forgive you of your sins. God will take the emptiness and he will fill it. Here today, God will take whatever rubble we have in our life. And he will bring revival. For Nehemiah, it was a wall. For Saul of Tarsus, it was his own zeal that was misguided. That God began to redirect it and say, I'm going to make something of you. When Saul looked back over his life, he said, man, I, I was a mess. I was a mess. How did I get where I am today? It's only by the grace of God. It's only by the grace of God. Could we stand around this place? Well, there's, there's some here today who, who, when you look, you see the rubble, you see the things, you see the mess. There's some of us today who we've been chasing after things that, that are really self-consuming. And God is trying to occupy you with something that is greater than you. God's trying to place a calling on your life. He's trying to get you to do something, but all you do is you look around at the rubble and, and, and you look around at and all these things that are there and you say, man, I can't make anything of this. But God has called you to do it and so he will perform that which he has called you to do. If you could l- just lift your hand wherever you're at. If you want to make your way up to the altar, you're welcome to. If you want to just come and just, just take a little time to pray here today, God wants to restore some things. God wants to restore some things in your life. God wants to give you some hope. God wants to begin to give you, go on, to begin to rebuild some things in your life. God wants to give you hope for, for the things that have been lost. God wants to give you hope for that which is broken. God wants to give you hope for those things that you thought there was no way forward. God wants to give you a ministry. He wants to restore some ministries here today. Oh, would you just give your, surrender your life to Him? Surrender your, your hopes, your future to Him. Say, God, it's not about what I have. God, what I have to offer you, it's just a bunch of rubble. God, what I have to offer you is just a bunch of little pieces here and there. But God, you make a masterpiece out of them. God, make a masterpiece. I see shadows. 